This presentation was from Yox Australia 2017, held in Sydney. For more presentations from this and other conferences, please visit yoixaustralia.com.au. All right. I'd like to welcome Ashley. Uh, she's with PwC, and she's here to tell us a personal story about her experiences. Thank you. Hi, everyone. Hi, everyone. My name is Ashley Mackay. I'm a UX researcher and writer. I was born with Asperger's syndrome, and I didn't find out until I was nearly 30. I'd like to share my story with you. I've always known there was something different about me. For as long as I can remember, interacting with other people has always been really hard. Statues have been great. <laughs> when I was seven, I wasn't allowed to sit next to the other kids in my class. I was a wild, free-thinking child that parents complained about, and there was a physical gap between my desk and the rest of the U-shape of desks. When I was nine, my school gave me a social worker to spend my lunch breaks with. She would try to teach me how to make friends on the playground. But no matter how many stick figure based scenarios we drew on the whiteboard, I could never figure out how to apply it on the swing set. One day when I was nine, uh, sorry, 11, I got kicked out of class without warning. I was sent down the hall to mark other students' homework. And I, I had no idea why it was happening, and I thought I was being punished. So I escaped the first chance I got. I crept back to my own classroom to find them reviewing the work we had done the day before. That was the day I learned I had a bad habit of disrupting the class when I understood something that they didn't. I was very confused and quite upset, but my teacher changed his approach. Um, instead of getting me to do his work for him, he would <laughs> let me play Word Rescue on the computer <laughs> anytime he needed to run a recap session. I loved this game, it was great. High school was harder than it needed to be. I didn't fit in anywhere and I couldn't do anything right. University was essentially a rerun of high school. When I started working, I thought things would be different, but I struggled to wrap my mind around office hierarchies and politics, and I found it difficult to connect with my colleagues. Uh, it wasn't long before I had developed a reputation for being difficult to work with. I was devastated and I had no idea how it had happened or what to do with it. Um, through all levels of schooling and throughout most of my career, I've been bullied. I've been called weird, harsh, bad person, a monster. And for a really long time, I believed that was true. I believed I was a monster. Until one day, after spending more than 17 years battling depression and bouncing in and out of therapy, trying to crack the code of how to be normal, whatever that means, I decided enough was enough. Slowly, I started to accept myself for my differences. And once that happened, I needed to know why they were there. Getting assessed and eventually diagnosed was the best thing that ever happened to me. I'm not a monster just have a different brain, and it's great. <laughs> Having a different brain makes me what is known as neurodiverse. Neurodiversity covers a broad spectrum of differences, including things like, well, obviously, autism, but also things like ADHD and dyslexia. There are many, many different types of different brains. 
Coming back around to autism, autistic traits are classified by something called the triad of impairments. We have what is known as clinically significant deficits in all three of these areas. I don't know about you, but this is how I feel about that. <laughs> I also don't consider myself to be impaired. I've met people who view the spectrum like this, and I find this one to be a bit unhelpful because people who sit at the mild end of this scale still have legitimate challenges. And people who might sit a little further along and might not communicate verbally, for example, might be perfectly happy just the way they are. This is how I view the spectrum, as a highly detailed colour wheel in which every single one of those segments is an autistic trait and every autistic person has their own unique configuration of these traits, like this. Let's say that's me. But what does it really actually mean to be autistic? I'm going to tell you a little bit about what it means for me. And I say me because it's really important to recognise that if you've met one autistic person, congrats, you've met one autistic person. <laughs> we, have, we have our similarities, we have a lot in common, we, we all come from the same colour wheel, but no two of us are exactly the same. So this is me. Conversation is really hard for me. Starting one, ending one, knowing when it's my turn to talk does not come naturally. I take things literally. I'm usually the last person to get a joke by a few months. <laughs> I can't always read body language or social cues, like when someone wants me to stop talking. I tend to say exactly what I think and lack a natural understanding of what is and isn't appropriate. Small talk makes no sense to me at all. <laughs> I'm quite comfortable with silence. And I think talking about the weather is weird. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Unwritten social rules like not eating until everyone else have, has received their food also make no sense to me. My dinner is not going a cold on account of you. <laughs> My facial expressions don't always match how I really feel on the inside. I laugh at inappropriate times like from the front row at a conference in the middle of the keynote when there isn't actually a joke being told. <laughs> Sorry, Steve. <laughs> Routine and stability is really important to me. Uh, it's not that I can't handle change, it's more that it takes me longer to adjust. My eye contact is unusual. Holding eye contact with another person can actually be quite painful for me. I have a narrow field of interests. I was colouring in long before it was cool and I do it every day, but I love it. I experience the world at a heightened level of intensity. Everything is just oh, in my face. It can be a good thing, it makes me really creative, but loud sounds like a knock at the door can leave me rattled and certain foods and textures like this aioli can make me feel sick. You might see me fidgeting or hear me clicking my tongue against my teeth. It's actually called stimming and it's a good thing because it calms me down um, and it happens involuntarily, but it's okay. These things <laughs> have been an absolute lifesaver. <laughs> and the last trait that I'm going to talk you through because I could talk about this all day 
is something called executive dysfunction. Now, that is not a nickname for my boss. <laughs> but rather a processing-based issue in my brain that makes it hard for me to get and keep my shit together. What does this mean for my UX career? We design for people, people that I struggle to interact with. I, I get a lot of funny looks from strangers when I tell them what I do. And I think this stems from the myth that autistic people lack empathy. It couldn't be further from the truth. If anything, autistic people feel more due to the more intense way that we experience the world. When someone I care about feels sad, I feel sad too, but I also feel helpless because I don't know what to do with them. Things get a little lost in translation, but the empathy is absolutely there. And my challenges are offset by great strengths that allow me to tackle that understanding gap sideways, back to front and upside down. I'm very good at solving puzzles and recognizing patterns. I'm an expert level dot connector in the way I can take seemingly random scraps of information and piece them together to form meaningful conclusions. We have a game in my house every Christmas where we try to guess what's under the tree and I've never lost, which is probably a little sad, but <laughs> it's, yeah. I think in pictures and I have a really vivid imagination. I'm naturally curious and I'm quite fluid in my thinking. I'm fearless. I have no problem asking stupid questions and I'm able to articulate why I need stupid answers. I'm not without my limitations, but I've gotten pretty good at managing them. I use Trello to help me stay organised. I'm also a big fan of post-it based to-do lists as well. I work four days a week. It gives me an extra day to just decompress and just have some me time. I have a very supportive workplace. Some of them are here today. <laughs> so that is designing with, but how do we as UXers design and research for autistic people? There are a number of assistive technologies out there for autistic people. Problem is, many of them are aimed at our communication differences. And many seek to change autistic traits rather than maximise their strengths just as they are. This is not helpful. Autistic or not, everyone is different in their own way and that's a really good thing. Focusing design efforts on trying to change or fix autistic traits goes against the diverse and inclusive society that we all have a right to enjoy. Autistic people are not broken and they don't need fixing. What we need is support to be ourselves. Some examples of that support could include things like supporting sensory overload, that looks painful. Assisted experiences like navigating an airport. Tools to manage executive dysfunction. I'd like to share two examples with you now of some really cool things that are happening in these spaces. Stimtastic create designs and creates jewelry and toys that support our need to stim, like I mentioned earlier. They're designed with, for, and in some cases by autistic people and cover a wide range of needs and differences. I especially like the fidget jewellery because it's something that we can have with us at any time and it's also quite subtle too, like you wouldn't know I was doing it. The other example I'd like to share is Nana's weighted blankets. This one, I just, I love the story behind this one. Um, 
it all started in 2009 when Nana, also known as Sharon, learned that her then five-year-old grandson, Toby, had been diagnosed with autism. Toby was having a hard time getting to sleep and he was exhausted. Sharon did some research and thought, well, maybe a weighted blanket might help. And then she tried to find one, but she couldn't find one that was safe, affordable, and most importantly, machine washable. Some of the options out there were filled with popcorn. <laughs> so she made one herself <laughs> and it worked and it took off from there. The thing I love about these blankets is the level of customization available. You can choose the weight, the size, the fabric, and you can even go heavier if you want to. It's fantastic. Before we wrap this thing up, I'd like to share some tips for when you're researching and designing for autistic people. When researching, treat us like any other participant. We're just people. It's okay. Don't be put off by our unusual eye contact. Remember that holding eye contact with another person can be, at best, uncomfortable or, at worst, quite painful. Consider not having observers present in the room. It can get a bit overwhelming. Provide clear instructions up front, both written and verbally, and allow extra time for questions. When designing for autistic people, exploratory research is essential and assumptions about our needs and perceived limitations must be avoided. Don't classify or judge autistic individuals based on perceived severity. Don't think that because I'm standing up here today giving a talk that my existence is mild or that I'm not that autistic. View autism and other neurological differences the same way you would any other disability. You would never ask a wheelchair user to take the stairs. So don't force an autistic person into a situation that might overwhelm their sensory differences or force them to make eye contact in a way that is uncomfortable for them. Practice inclusive language. Avoid terms like suffers from autism, trapped by autism, and the creepiest one I've heard so far, touched by autism. <laughs> yeah, I can assure you that autism does not go around touching people. <laughs> You may have noticed throughout this talk that I've been using identity first language. I've been referring to myself as an autistic person rather than a person with autism. And that's really what it's all about. My autism sits at the very core of my identity. It isn't something I lug around with me in my purse and it certainly isn't an affliction either. Autism and neurodiversity in general are a hell of a lot more common than you might realise. But that's a really good thing, because all it means is that people have different brains. And that's a great thing, because we need all kinds of brains. <laughs> Thank you. We hope you enjoyed this presentation from UX Australia 2017. For more presentations from this and other conferences, please visit uxaustralia.com.au.